more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. But there's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. It's the 16th of February, 2020, and you're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Kayla Delventhal. And I'm Lisa Hildebrand. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over in over 80 different programs of study. And here in Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at OSU, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live. And should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we are joined by Nick Bira. Nick, how's it going? Thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. It's going pretty well. Awesome. So Nick is a PhD student in the Department of Robotics with Dr. Joseph Davidson. Um, Nick works on soft robotics and magnets. So can we start by telling our listeners what soft robotics is? Sure. Um, Soft robotics is a branch of robotics concerned with making robots from entirely soft materials, um, such as silicone, liquid metal, uh, flexible fabrics, air, water, things like that. And why would we want a soft robot? I mean, hard robots look so cool. <laughs> they do. They do. I think soft robots can look cooler. Um, but the the general reason among many is that... Um, Soft robots can be safer, and soft robots can do things that hard robots can't do. Um, for example, if you have a, a small hole and you want your robot to go from one side of the wall to the other side, you can't really shove it through a hole that's smaller than the robot itself. But if it's a soft robot, in this ideal case where it's like an octopus or something, you could have it go through a smaller than its actual body size hole. Um, and for safety, it's something really useful where you have um, robots that are doing these tasks that could be kind of dangerous to people, um, maybe like a radiation environment where there's nuclear waste or something. Um, soft robots can be a lot more robust and absorb that radiation better than traditional robots mm. because of the materials they're made from. Um, but also if you're in a factory and you're working with robots that are assembling cars and welding things, these robots can move very quickly and be very rigid and dangerous if they run into you. So if you have these robots made out of soft safe materials, then they'd be less likely to damage you or um, cause permanent injury in those scenarios. Yeah, lots of applications. I think you also, in our pre-interview, you mentioned medical applications probably as well. Yeah, I mean, if you go into surgery and you're doing some kind of uh, invasive procedure, um, if you need to navigate through the human body, you want something that is soft and compliant that's not going to mm -hmm. damage the walls of your blood vessels or your brain mm -hmm. or something, um, and those types of applications are great for soft robots because they are so safe to work around. 
and thinking about all these possible applications, it's very obvious that they can be something really awesome in the future, but we don't see soft robots all that often today. So I'm wondering, what are the obstacles um, that engineers face when they're trying to develop a soft robot? Yeah, there's a couple that keep popping up. Um, mainly, how do you make a soft robot completely out of soft materials? So it might be easier to make a tentacle, but that's just one part of the whole robot. Um, to make the tentacle inflate and wrap around things and grab stuff, you still need all these really large, hard, off-board um, components like a compressor to make the air pressurized and then tubing and pumps to move it around. And and so that's sort of like the, the hidden part of the, the soft robot systems that make it difficult to um, really be fully soft. So a lot of the research is focused on trying to make these robots actually more compact without the need for all this off-board hard equipment and so they can be self-contained and go out in the world and um, be soft fully. Right. I'm, I'm imagining if it's in the field of medicine, you might have a robot that it's okay if you plug it into the wall or maybe there's a right. generator off to the side. But for some of those tasks you were describing of going moving through a small hole, you wouldn't want a big like pressurized air tank or, or something trying yeah. to also fit through that same space. Yeah. In certain scenarios, you can get away with having that offboard stuff. But um, yeah, for like deep sea exploration or something or um, yeah, a cave exploration, if you're going through all these winding tight passageways you mm. can't really you can't run enough tubing to you know really make it work that far down right so. yeah and also if there's i mean like small gaps like how do you get a big generator through them like you can't right yeah you want something that's essentially autonomous and just like one nice neat package mm. um you've kind of hinted at um one of the other i guess not problems but um something that you're trying to do different and so you've mentioned like pressurized air or like big tanks that accompany some soft robots. And that's kind of where the second part of your research comes in, because you look at soft robots and magnetism or magnetics. Mm -hmm. um, how does that part come in? Yeah, so there's several different regions in soft robotics that are important. So like the materials you make them from, um, how you control them, that could be software or it could be the actual physical things you make it out of. And then, you know, how soft is it? What does it do? Um, what I'm kind of more focused on right now is on the control part. Uh, how do you control these soft robots and make them behave the way you want? Um, so I'm trying to make these uh, magnetically driven mechanisms that can operate in a soft robot to um, allow for the control of pressure as it moves around inside of your soft robot. Because traditionally soft robots have been powered by... Pressure driven is what we like to say. Mm. Um, I think a lot of them basically inflate or deflate and that's like the, the primary mechanism mm -hmm. there's a lot of other ways there's like origami inspired robots that unfold and refold themselves um, but a lot of the soft robot tentacles or soft robot uh, moving walking mechanisms are driven by pressure they're basically just glorified balloons but um, very sophisticated balloons so uh this magnet thing sounds like a good idea and um is it, it's novel though, right? Your, your research is kind of moving in a, a new open direction. Why hasn't it been used in the past? So there's been, yeah, limited research on that. Uh, I think soft robots as a field is, they like to say it's emerging a lot. It's kind of a joke inside the field that's not emerging anymore. It's been around long enough that it's still very, uh, very current, um, mm -hmm. but not, not emerging anymore. Um, but the, the stuff that I'm working on is sort of filling a gap in that there isn't much with magnetism being used inside of soft robots. Um, a big part of that is because magnets, as most people think of them, are hard and are these chunks of iron or metals that 
require a lot of power and amperage amps to actually do and create magnetism the way you want. Um, so I'm I'm trying to replicate a lot of the stuff that's present there, but I'm trying to do it without the need for hard magnets in soft robots. Um, and it, it, like, so you can have a motor, right? Motors are very commonly used in cars and everything else today, but it doesn't make sense to take a motor and shove it into a soft robot because you already have, it's really hard and large mm-hmm. and you have all the soft stuff you want it to be. Um, motors are driven by magnets and electricity. So it's the same kind of idea. How do you replicate some of these principles that are really common in robotics, like moving and, and grabbing things, but yeah, doing it with soft materials. So to be more specific, I'm trying to take, um, I'm trying to create magnetic fields inside of my soft robot uh, using soft materials. And there isn't much research being done on that right now. Um, there is some research involving the 3D printing of silicone rubber, which is a lot what is used often in my field for making these soft things. Um, silicone rubber with neodymium particles embedded in it. Sorry, neodymium. And that is that is just a really like strong magnetic material. Um, and so what's different about that and what I'm doing, that stuff is, it responds to a magnetic field. So mm-hmm. you can bring in a normal magnet and it would bend towards it like a piece of metal would, like your fridge and a fridge magnet would. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the same as what I'm trying to do, which is trying to create a magnetic field. So I'm trying to make a magnet within my soft robot as opposed to bringing in a magnet from outside of it and having it be attracted to a magnet. Um, and I guess I could say the way I'm trying to do that, um, <laughs> Just be, yeah, I can go down this rabbit hole. Uh, so you're here to rabbit hole. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to make an electromagnet, basically just using um, coiled wire around a core of this iron particles in silicone rubber. Um, it's nothing more than what you find in motors or other stuff like that. The concept, mm-hmm. at least, but the um, the material itself, this iron particles and silicone rubber, is what I'm experimenting on, trying to understand its properties, how stretchy is it. Um, how magnetic is it and can I actually create this magnetic field using this as the core for what I'm doing is is one of the challenges of making a magnet soft that it it becomes less um, strong yeah <laughs> that's yeah. that's the biggest <laughs> obstacle and it's a big part of why people haven't really pursued it yet is because mm-hmm. it's definitely less optimal than a solid chunk of magnetic material. Um, when you have, you know, particles in a substrate like silicone, all the little magnetic particles inside of it are really just acting like their own tiny little individual magnets. And they kind of add up to act like one large magnet. Um, but when you put all this space between them, their effect on each other is a lot reduced, you know, like magnets in real life. If you have them maybe, you know, half an inch apart, it's really strong, but Mm. you take it, you know, one inch apart. Now Mm -hmm. they hardly attract at all. So that, that, that distance is really important um, between them. Gotcha. Or like floppy fridge magnets that just fall. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's an example of a flexible Mm -hmm. magnetically soft material, (laughs) uh, but it's not an elastic magnetic material which is what you want mm-hmm. so it um definitely well you're trying to do something that's essentially never been done before and it sounds quite difficult <laughs> how's it um been going so far yeah i i had a lot of progress at first and it was um pretty encouraging um the results i was seeing and the the little tests i was doing on my lab bench were all very reassuring um i just got back some some fun results this week that are uh less encouraging but um definitely not like 
the the ideas are all still very sound. Mm-hmm. It's just that the the numbers behind the the math that drives how to model a magnetic uh, electromagnet generating magnetic flux. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, the numbers that I'm <laughs> wanting to see are not as good as the numbers that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. So what that implies for me is I have to think about change about how I'm going to achieve this goal of mm-hmm. creating these magnetic fields inside a soft robot. Um, it could mean instead of using iron particles, I use something more exotic like mm. permalloy, which is a fun metal that they use in magnet stuff. <laughs> um, and so something like that would be a lot more likely to give me the numbers I was hoping that I have, would have had. Um, other things could be just doing more, um, like I have the same material, but now I wind twice the number of coils around it. Mm. And that's math-wise that adds up to being twice the amount of flux you generate. Mm. So it's just little things like that, tweaking a lot of these parameters, trying to figure mm-hmm. out, now that I know what these numbers are, how do I reshape my design around it to make it work the way I want Right. So you're like in the material testing phase right now. Definitely. I'm trying to characterize the material, mm-hmm. understand what it is, how it works. And um, that's really the, the groundwork for this whole trajectory I'm on right now. Mm. Once that is established and I have a good understanding of the, the material and um, its elasticity and its magnetic properties, then I can really begin to make a lot of different interesting applications for soft robotics as a whole. I just thought of a question, which I didn't think of in the pre-interview. When, once you like make this material that works and does what you want it to do, will you name it? Is that a thing? Like, Do you name the material that is made, or do you only name the thing that the material makes? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's sort of difficult. It's a composite, so mm. it's not really fair to call it it's your own thing unless okay. you, it's like a business decision. You trademark some material that you've designed. Mm. Um yeah, it's really all it is is iron particles and silicon rubber. Okay, um, there's so nothing else to it. Probably some like smushed together word of those things. Right. Like, I don't know. Scylla <laughs> iron or. Yeah. Scylla <laughs> iron. Something Coming like that. Scylla yeah. iron. <laughs> uh, I really love TM. that you bring up that you're testing these materials. And sometimes it doesn't work because that is how science works. Yeah. And it's important that we know what doesn't work. Because if you were able to just out of nowhere think of some some way to solve this very complex problem and have it work the first time that would be out of this world. Um, So we're testing materials and I'm wondering what comes next. If you were able to get a material, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. If I get the, if I get the numbers I want and I'm seeing generated magnetic fields of the magnitude that I need, um, then I'll move forward and try to make um, valve control. So I talked about control as the interest in this area that I'm looking at. Um, I want to be able to control the flow of a pressurized fluid through a system and right now, like the second part of this work that I'm interested in is using magnetorheological fluid, uh, which is another fun word. It just is, it means this liquid, it's oil that has magnetic stuff in it. And um, when you apply a magnetic field to it, you bring a magnet close to it, it gets really thick and stops flowing. Um, so what you can do with that is normally you have uh, this pressurized fluid circulating through your system, and then you bring a magnet over to one part of it and then the fluid stops flowing because it forms a little plug Mm. a little clot and it doesn't move past that and that lets you stop the flow and also increase the pressure at that point um so the the idea overall is to take magnetism that you're generating inside yourself robot and um at different points within it uh, turn on or off the flow of pressurized fluid through the system and you can inflate tentacles or you can have it um kind of change its shape or roll or any other of the soft robotic things that soft robots do. 
Right. So rather having air or electricity do this, it's the magnetic valve essentially that is doing it. Yeah. Um, so most things use air. They're pneumatic. Um, mm -hmm. This is more of a hydraulic, which uses a liquid. Um, same ideas. And I would be using electricity to generate the magnetic field. But to do that, you have to have something magnetic inside of it to, to create the field. So that's like the interplay of all that. Yeah. And uh, would this type of valve be used for all different sorts of soft robots? Or is there one robot you have in mind? Yeah, I. that's why I like this research I'm doing right now is that it's very widely applicable to the entire field. Mm. Um, it could be used a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, it's a building block. There's there's all these tools that exist for making soft robots from how do you design a tentacle to what pressure sources can you use. And this is it. This is trying to open up a whole new avenue for other researchers to, to then play with and make interesting applications. It's not um, one particular application that's like really targeted at. It's very broadly used. Yeah, I think you said in the pre-interview that like mag magnetism is this toolbox that hasn't been opened yet at all for like soft robotics and that like there's so much that can be built upon even just like very basic development. Well, not basic developments, but like building block developments that'll then create even bigger things and ideas. Yeah. Uh, the only research that I'm aware of that uses magnetism in soft robots was some, some great papers from MIT that did, um, they had this guided um, surgical robot that mm -hmm. would go into your brain and they use the MRI machine to the material of the robot itself is what I'm working with. Um, but it, it was with neodymium and they would have the MRI actually apply fields and push it left or right to mm -hmm. steer it through the brain um, to an aneurysm in your brain through the brain vessels. And so that's a really cool example. Yeah. But again, that's the applied, you still need an MRI machine mm -hmm. to do that, right. which is not exactly what we're going for. Um, great, awesome application, but you know, I'm trying to do, trying to take away the MRI and just do it from within. Right. Wow. Those are basically the only published papers out there with magnets and soft robots. Um, mostly as far as I know. I'm sure other people are working on it right now because like I said, it's an unexplored area. It would right. be silly that I'm the only one thinking about this. Um, right. So um, I'm certain there will be a, a large explosion of related publications in the area in the next couple of years. But that's so crazy to think about that, like you're working off of, you know, the failures and successes of very few people, I guess. Like mm -hmm. it's not much is known. And so you are kind of paving the way in this, what I think will be a, like a great application. But yeah, you're kind of in the dark. <laughs> yeah, and that's what makes it difficult. And that's why it's also frustrating. There's not like, I don't have, you know, databases of material mm -hmm. characteristics to, to draw from to do this fundamental research because there are none. So I have to like, I have to write that. And that's why the publication is important. So even if I, I can't make the thing I wanted to make, you know, I can't as an engineer, that's disappointing. But as like as a scientist, mm -hmm. it's still important. And I have to go out in the world and let the world know, you know, these are the properties of these materials. Don't do that because yeah. <laughs> it won't work very well. Um, but, you know, that's OK if that's the case. It's still still important, still useful. Yeah, I hoped we get back to that point because the three of us discussed in our pre-interview that like too infrequently do scientists publish the things that don't work because you could really save other people the time and the money and the effort mm -hmm. to do the exact same things that didn't work and then only find that they don't work right. again. So, yeah, still that's valuable really knowledge. Yeah. So did you just sort of fall into this PhD work or have you been working on soft robotics before you came to Oregon State? Yeah, there's a bit of a 
story arc to it. Um, I was doing my <laughs> undergrad at the University of Missouri, um, and I had an opportunity to come to Oregon State for a research experience for undergraduates. Uh, and that was my first like exposure to soft robotics. I was paired up with Dr. Yeetman Gooch. Uh, he's no longer here as a faculty member, but uh, it went really well. And I did research on uh, fully soft liquid metal sensors for detecting tissue composition. I don't know. It was it was a whole thing I, I tried to work on in one summer and I got a lot done. Um, but then I didn't touch it for the rest of my undergrad. But as I was applying to grad school, I just looked at all the places I'd been to. Uh, I did a, another internship at MIT and um, and at my own institution and just like in applying for grad schools, I really, really liked Oregon state. I really liked mm-hmm. Oregon as a place to live. I liked the climate here and just the, the work mm-hmm. I did here, uh, in my department, I really liked everything about it. So, uh, I applied here and got in and was very excited for that. And then when I came here, I resumed worked with Dr. Mangooch and, um, completed the work I did as an undergrad. And, um, that was then published and sent out, uh, in, all 2017. And then from that, I went on to work on the next stage, which was not related to sensing, it was related to valve control in soft robotics. I was using electro-rheological fluid. It's similar to what I'm trying to do now, but mm-hmm. just at losing high voltage as opposed to magnetic fields. Um, and so I completed that work that was published recently. I'm going to Paris soon for that, which I'm really excited nice. for. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, that's been kind of the progression is that I just kind of started out as more of a chance happening of a, a research experience and then um, really enjoyed it and got into it. And after that, just managed to find my way to magnetism mm. as a unexplored area within soft robotics and something that I just thought was challenging and interesting. Right. I also just want to point out to listeners that we ha- we have this background info that Nick actually published that um, work that he does did as an RU within four months of coming to grad school, which I think is amazing because when you first come to grad school, well, I was pretty overwhelmed. I was having to take lots of classes, adapting to a new place. So I think that's really amazing. Great work. Thanks. That was, yeah. <laughs> it was a very overwhelming time, but I had already done most of it that summer mm. and I was just sitting on it for a while and really wanted to send it out. So yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. I even so I think RU programs are like 10 weeks. So yeah, yeah. About. <laughs> it's pretty nice having those early experiences that give you a taste of the things that you like. I think uh, for many people that are going into grad school, sometimes you have an idea of what you want to study, but sometimes you're going in like, I know I like this field and hopefully I can find the thing that really gets my attention. So uh, it looked like they grabbed you kind of early at Oregon State for a little <laughs> bit and you, you came back. It's really awesome. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a child, were you always into robotics in this field or is it something that developed later? Well, I have a, a fun story about that. I was, uh, I think, three or four uh, and I somehow decided to build a fake robot in my front room. Um, and so I took my mother's vacuum cleaner and dressed it up in random clothes I found laying around and put on like gloves and stuff and then put up a pot lid well a cooking pot with a pot lid on top of it with googly <laughs> eyes and named it Mr. Clanky um and there was something that I did multiple times over the next year uh, I would like reassemble Mr. Clanky from household materials in different forms uh one had a Jar Jar Bink mask on I think I found that some other time it was it was very strange uh but I think there was a, a vague interest in robotics from early on mm-hmm. and then I have always just enjoyed Legos and and making things, uh, sculpture, working with my hands, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've I've really kind of gravitated towards it. I did biomedical engineering and computational neuroscience in my undergrad. And that was really fun for me because I got to do a lot of like medical oriented stuff. Mm. Um, But again, more hands on than uh, say like electrical or computer science, um, which I tried and dabbled in, but didn't enjoy as much. Um, So I think for me, 
uh, robotics is very much like this great intersection of hands-on engineering and then like critical thinking, but also incorporating the human element into it a lot and working with people on some level. Mm. Cool. Right on. Uh, also, listeners, if you want to see an iteration of Mr. Clanky, go to the blog, check out the very last blog that was posted. Nick very graciously provided us a photo of <laughs> young Nick with one of the versions of Mr. Clanky, and it's very sweet. So I would definitely urge you to check that out. Um, also, something that you told us kind of like at the end of our pre-interview is that you have two Instagram accounts, right? One being Nick underscore makes underscore things, and the other one being Nick underscore bakes underscore things. So can I take from this that you enjoy baking or cooking or I, I do um okay. what's well, nick makes stuff oh stuff sorry things, sorry yes, yes. but Obviously, with the underscores right uh yes yeah. correct. <laughs> uh make stuff and bake stuff it's just my my two instagram accounts for all the things i cook and bake mm -hmm. here in corvallis because it's i do enjoy that a lot i enjoy the making process and then it applies to everything else that i make which is nick makes stuff um <laughs> robots art 3d printing uh things like that i do a lot of that yeah, you guys right should on. check those out. I, I had a quick scroll through when I was putting it on the blog, and I was like, ooh. I w do you like also post recipes of things that you make? Because I was like, some of these things look really good. <laughs> I don't. I've done that a few times. Mostly I just, you know, browse the internet and then improvise a bit, and that's okay. called a good, mm -hmm. good meal. But, um, yeah, I guess I could do a much more comprehensive sharing <laughs> if I wanted to. Although I think food blogging is like a career for some. True. Like it's mm -hmm. a it's a full-time job right you can't a, give away all the secrets no one of those um <laughs> photography booths you know with like the good lighting yeah, yes yeah and, like <laughs> white background yep. the center. <laughs> perfect uh, so before we finish our show we have this tradition where two uh, traditions two where <laughs> you give a piece of advice to anyone um so you get to pick your audience and it's something um that nick has thought of for you all to hear what is it uh, and who's it for yeah yes sure um I would say just for anyone who's listening uh, in like high school or college, you know, interested in, in STEM and engineering, um, well, I should say STEAM and engineering, uh, things like that. Don't, you know, don't forget to, don't neglect all the different areas of, of STEAM and things that you, that you do. So what I mean by that is, you know, maybe you really enjoy engineering and get really good at it, but like don't neglect artistic pursuits and that, and that, and then, Maybe you're really good at math, but like don't uh, lose touch with putting your hands on things every now and then. Mm. Um, just because I think from my experience, being well-rounded has been one of the greatest strengths I've had throughout this entire experience of going through undergrad and undergrad school. Um, I've always felt that I could, I've always felt as a result of all my, my experiences and opportunities that I could go into pretty much anything, you know, it could be computer science, it could be robotics, it could be engineering. And I feel competent in that space because I've had all these experiences that I was able to either seek out or that were presented to me by great opportunities that I had. Mm. So, um, yeah, my, I guess my overall advice then is just to like really engage with all these different opportunities and don't be afraid to, to try new things. Um, yeah, like in the, in the immortal words of Miss Frizzle, right? Take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Um, that's, that's been something that I've tried to do live my life by a bit. And I feel like I've just benefited so greatly mm -hmm. because of it. I think that's really good advice. I actually wish like some, someone had told me that when I was younger to like, not just focus yeah. in on one thing, but like to do it all to become a well-rounded You know, person. even now in grad school, I think it's really easy for us to try to pigeonhole ourselves. Like, Oh, I I'm a botanist, but honestly, <laughs> I don't know that much about plants. I actually love so many things. Sometimes it's overwhelming. I have a lot of interest, but 
You're making me feel like, no, this is a power. This is a good thing. <laughs> and no matter what our age is, we should stay curious. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's really important to pursue and always be learning. I mean, I'm 25 now and uh, I feel like I'm just beginning to scratch the surface. The more I learn mm-hmm. and more I'm like, okay, there's so much more to learn here. Um, and yeah, I, I just really enjoy learning new things. I just picked up pottery the last year. I've been doing D&D the past few years. That's new. Mm. Um, doing a lot of trying to learn more about music and whatnot because I don't really know much about it. Um, things like that. Just being curious all the time is, is a really great way to engage with life. I feel. Yeah. And I think especially being at a university, like there's so many opportunities for you to just dabble in mm-hmm. things here at OSU. Yeah. There really are. Great. Yeah. That's a huge reason. Part of the reason why I came back is just, I really enjoyed the culture here. I felt mm. like there was so much to do and there were so many opportunities to do them. Um, yeah. 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 I love it here too. <laughs> um, our second tradition on the show is that our guests always get to pick the outro song to their episode um do you want to preface the song do you want to say what it is or do you want it to be a surprise uh i'll just reference why i picked it um it's a song by the legendary composer koji kondo he's a um a very um talented musician he he works with nintendo a lot of the video game company and this is a, a song from super mario galaxy mm-hmm. uh, a classic <laughs> yes. from my teenage years um <laughs> but the the reason why i picked it is just because it's it's orchestral it is very like very sweeping and majestic in its scale and it's something that you don't it's not a type of music that you expect from a game about mario um but i think for me it was something that like really inspired my my uh, imagination as a younger kid and um led me down to where I am now in terms of like fantasy and and enjoying that. So I don't know. I just like, I like the piece of music and where it comes from. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Uh, Thanks so much, Nick, for coming on the show. It's been fun learning about soft robotics. It's so far removed from what I do as a marine ecologist. Um, So yeah, thanks for your time and enjoy the song, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamad. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.